Glory. Amen. Going home. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that, brother. That was wonderful. God bless you. You happy to be in the house of the Lord here? Amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise this morning. Worship. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. It's so good to be here. Amen. Again, I trust that the word was a blessing to you last night. Amen. And that God spoke to you in a real special way. Amen. I'm so glad the Lord moved like he did. You know, sometimes we really need the Lord to move. And I'm so glad he always does when we need him most. Amen. I told the brothers in the back, I've traveled 4,000 miles uh, by plane, six hours by car, preached six services, all in the last 10 days. And I'm tired. (laughs) Can I be honest with you today? Amen. Body's a little bit physically worn out. I told him, I I told Brother Terry, I said, I think that was the hardest uh, physically that I've ever had to preach. This was a struggle physically. And he said, well, I don't think anybody noticed it, brother. I said, well, good. (laughs) Amen. That's what happens when the Spirit of the Lord takes over. Amen. That's what we always want. Amen. We always find that when we come to the end of our own strength, that's when His strength takes over. Amen. So we're so glad to be here. As we said uh, last night, the Lord really just did something really special there. I see one of the brothers, amen, that was here at the camp. So good to see you again, brother. And we had such a wonderful time. Amen. It was something so special the Lord did uh, just there at those meetings. I told one brother, I said, it was amazing. It's like I've never had anything happen like that in all my years of ministering. Uh, I I walked onto the camp from the very first day we registered and they showed me, gave me the key to my room and I walked in my room and and I, I can't even hardly know how to explain it, but from the moment I walked in there before I could even hardly get my luggage put on the floor, the Holy Spirit and the anointing came in that room and I, I dropped my luggage and fell to my knees before I could do anything. And the Lord just began to move. And God met me in that room three days in a row just like that. And and I said it was so hard to explain. The anointing that I felt felt the same as if I had just finished preaching an anointed service and was about to pray for people. Yet I hadn't preached anything yet. But God was so dealing with my heart. I think anybody could have preached and the Lord would have done something. God really really just moved in such a special, special way. I tell you what, the Lord's doing something right now. Amen. Amen. 66 people, I know the number was 68 at first, but that was, I asked Brother Ron, how many was it? I know it was a lot. And and it was amazing, even at the baptismal, as the the people that came to be baptized, and then one just came, and another came, and another came, and there were ministers coming, and counselors, adults, not just God moving on the young people, but God moving on the hearts of His family. The Spirit of God is moving. It's moving in all the earth. Lord, move in me. How many want to pray that today? The Spirit of the Lord is moving. Move, O God, in me. Amen. Don't pass me by. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's so good to be here again. As we said, we always enjoy coming. Amen. And just enjoy the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bible, we'll turn to the book of Judges. We'll just turn over there this morning. And we just like to uh, go a little bit different direction today. Amen. Thank you, Brother Louis. <clears throat> we like to go just a little bit different direction today. And I've only ministered this ever just one time. And uh, the Lord just began to deal with my heart and, and recently and just started stirring this up in me again. And, and I just... 
uh, knew the Lord was dealing with me, and just over the past few days, even here, just in my prayer closet, the Lord just bringing this up again in my life. And I'd like to speak to you this morning on called out of Judges and into Ruth. Called out of Judges and into Ruth. Amen. Let's read it, verse 1 of Judges chapter 1. It says, Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land in his hand. Judah came said unto Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him. Let's turn to chapter 2. And the Bible says here, uh, I'm sorry, stay in chapter 1. Let's go to verse 21 first. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. The house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. Verse 27, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and her towns, nor Tanak and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Eblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megdigo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Verse 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Katron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwell among them. Verse 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Acho, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor, the, nor of Ablam, nor of Akzib. No, You say, Brother Matt, why are all these towns so important? We get the point. They didn't have victory. But you see, Judges was going to record these were individual people and individual potential for victory or defeat. And God was going to record the areas in their life that they could never get victory over. And he says, this brother had victory here, but he could never get victory here. He had victory. I wonder if my life could be read that way. Had victory here, but never over a temper, never over this in his life. He had victory here, but God gave him a great victory here, but then there was a great defeat here. Oh, boy. How closely related are we to these scriptures? That's why I love this Bible. And it says here in verse, let's look here in, in verse 33. Neither did Nephtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemeth, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anath. Verse 30, verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swore unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw it on their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Let's just bow our heads here just for a moment. Lord Jesus, Father, we so trust in you this morning. Lord, we're looking to your hand, Father, to your voice. Lord, I pray that we would hear that voice today. Father, may it just be that still, small voice that really changes us, Father, into that realm past our emotions. Lord, past what we feel, past what we see or what we hear. Lord, we're looking to that unseen to move into that soul realm today, Lord. 
We pray, Father, that you would just move amongst us again as we've seen you move last night. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to your children, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to pause your spot there in Judges chapter 2. And I'm just going to, I'm going to go very slow and teach, amen, this morning. I'm actually, a lot of people don't know that, but back at home I teach in adult Sunday school. I've done that for many years with just the adults there at our church. And this is just the, the channel that the Lord has brought me in this morning. And I, I just want to go slow through this. I want you to turn to Judges chapter 17. And I want you to read this one verse in Judges 17 verse 6. This is going to be the refrain that you hear throughout this entire book of Judges. And there's a constant message in this book. And it says here in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is the key to the entire book that you read here in Judges. And it has this constant message all the way from beginning to end as you study this book. And I'm sure that many of you have studied this book and studied certain highlights uh, of Judges. You know the story if you went to Sunday school as a child. I'm sure you've heard the story of Samson and Delilah. And we hear the story of Gideon. You may know that story today, the story of Gideon and how the Lord shrunk his army and God did a, a great thing in Gideon's life and he had mighty victory over the Midianites. You may have heard the story of, of Deborah or of Barak or some of these highlights. But I, I want today just to open the entire book and what the significance of this book was. And what you'll find throughout the entire book of Judges is that there's this constant message that you hear throughout this entire, all of the stories that you read. You'll hear this message, there was no king, there was no king. And the people did right, did that which was right, not in God's eyes, but in his own eyes. I believe this is a very fulfillment of the day and age that you and I live in to where people have no king. They have no absolute. They have no authority. And they became their own moral authority or their own moral interpreter to life. And we see the mess that the world is in today from people who has literally exalted the thought of man to a place to where man is God and man chooses what's right and wrong. Judges was very similar to the age that you and I live in, that they had rejected this, this time period in this, in this, in this, uh, in this uh, age here that they were in. They had rejected the Lord. And you'll see this constant cycle that, that there was no king and, and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. It's amazing because when you read the entire chapter, the entire book of Judges, You'll find that Israel, the Bible says, was in Egypt. Uh, for many years, the Bible says they were slaves in Egypt until the iniquity of the Amorites was full. And when the, the cup of the Amorites was full and overflowing, God waits for that time period. You see, God has a season for everything. He's not aimlessly just picking timeline and picking when this will happen and, you know, when's, when's the body change going to happen? When's the rapture of the church going to happen? When am I going to send the seventh angel messenger? No. 
All of these things were ordered, very ordered from the Lord. And they all had a perfect time and a perfect place and at the right moment, God sent a message. And at the right moment and the right condition, God sent a messenger. And we find even here in Judges, the Bible says, when the iniquity of the Amorites was full. uh, In other words, God was saying that this land of Canaan was such a corrupt land. It was such a corrupt people. It It was such a corrupt, filthy society that God waited for that iniquity to get to such a place. And when it reached the brink or the height of its corruption, God sends a deliverer and delivers God's people out of Egypt. And Israel was chosen to be God's punishment for sin. The Bible says that Israel was going to begin to afflict the Philistines and afflict the Amorites and afflict the Canaanites. So the very purpose of why God delivered them out of Egypt was to dispossess the Canaanites from the land of Canaan and to take the land back. Now very sadly as we know the story as they come out from Egypt, as we spoke on last night, they come out of Egypt and God delivers them with a mighty hand and they go through the Red Sea and we know all of the journey that they, that they went through when you read the, the scripture and you follow that story all the way through the wilderness and you have many events that happen in that place. But now they come to the very purpose of why God had led them out. They come to the very fulfillment or the very reason that you're going to deliver the land from its oppressors. You're going to take possession back what God had promised your fathers. You're going you're to have full, complete victory. You're going to dispossess the inhabitants of the land. I want you to look here in Numbers chapter 33. Very familiar scripture, but I want you to turn there in your Bible if you have it. Numbers chapter 33, and we'll just pause there and Judges just here for just a moment. God brings them all the way through Egypt and all the way out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And now God is going to give them instructions through a prophet. And the Bible says here in Numbers 33, uh, the, 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 the author is going to start to list in chronological order all of the places where they camped. And they come all the way down, if you read every single verse, you come all the way down to the very last encampment. And it says in verse 49, they pitched by Jordan from Beth Jezimoth, even unto Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab. The Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. Now notice, the Lord is going to change something. There's going to be a dispensational change. There's going to be something God's about to instruct them. And he's going to say, up until this point, I've been leading you. Up until this point, I fought your battles. Up until this point, I delivered you from your oppressors. I've sent a Holy Spirit. I've sent an anointing, a pillar of cloud, a fire by night and a cloud by day. And I've led you all the way to this point. I've opened the Red Sea. I've, I've, I've rained manna and quail for your food and for your bread. And I've brought you all the way out of the world. I've sanctified you. I've filled you with my spirit. I've given you my very own life. I gave you not just the gift of the Holy Ghost, but I gave you the Holy Ghost himself is what God is saying to us today. But now it's going to come to a place in your life where you're going to have to put action to your faith. The Bible says here, and notice what he says to Moses in verse 51. 
speaking to the children of Israel and saying to them, When you are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out some of the inhabitants of the land. So we try that again. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants that you don't really care for particularly like. Then you shall drive out just, you know, the ones that really don't bother you, you know, uh, and the ones that really don't mean anything to you. No. The Scripture says this is how you're going to have victory in Canaan. You're to drive out all, A-L-L, all of the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. What was God commissioning these Israelites to? He was saying, I want you to go in and I want you to completely annihilate completely annihilate this race of people. And I want you to go further than just destroying them. I want you to destroy all their images. I want you to destroy all their pictures. I don't want your children to ever know that there was a people who existed in this land before you did. And God was saying, I don't want there to be a trace. I don't want there to be a hint. I don't want there to be a smell because I want you to have such victory because this is your land and the devil doesn't belong in your land. The devil doesn't have any place in your mind. He doesn't have any place in your spirit. He doesn't have any place in your mouth. He doesn't have any place in your ears. He doesn't have any place. That's why the Bible says, give no place to the devil. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. You say, how much of God, how much of, the, of God is supposed to possess me? 100% of your body, your mind, and your spirit is to be possessed by the Holy Ghost. And notice what God says here. He says, I want you to destroy all of them. And he says, and you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein for I. Now here's the promise. For I have given you the land to possess it. Here's a promise. I have given you the land to possess it. Then that's all I need, God, is a promise. That's not all you need. You've got to put action to that promise. Because that promise is going to be very conditional in their life. Notice what God says. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein. For I have given you the land to possess it. So let's close our Bible. Let's end the service right there. That's all we need. Just a promise. Amen. Praise God. God says, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't all. Verse 55. But, boy, that's a big word. What do you mean, but God? Hold on a minute. I thought you just promised it to me. But, here's the condition. If you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. God was promising this And you'll find this promise played out so true in the book of Judges. He was promising them, I'm going to give you victory. You're going to fight for every inch of ground that I'm going to give you. You're going to have to fight for it. 
Not only are you going to have to fight for every inch of ground, you're going to have to fight just to maintain the ground I'm going to give you. You know, sometimes real victory is not gaining new ground. It's holding the ground that God's already given you and not backing up from the faith God put inside your heart. And God says you're going to fight for every inch of it. You're going to hold your ground and you're going to have complete conquest of this land. But if you decide not to obey the voice of the Lord, then I want you to notice what happens in this book of Judges. He says here, It shall come to pass there'll be thorns and there'll be pricks in your eyes. And so God commands all of these words. He commands them to these Jews and says, go in and have victory. What potential, what a wave of revival that Israel was riding on. uh, Just coming through the land and now they're at the climax. Now they're at the point of possession. Now their God is with them and, and God's already given them a promise and He's given them a prophet and He's given them the word. But as we just read in Judges, it happens so differently than what you might would have expected. The Bible comes to Judges chapter 2 after all of this incomplete victory. And I want you to notice what happens here. The Bible says as we ended reading on verse 2, why have you done this? Judges chapter 2 verse 3 says, Wherefore I also said I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spoke these words unto all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. They called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And notice what it says here in verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. The first generation never has a problem. They always can live to the victory or the level of the previous generation. They have no trouble living that far, but but now watch what happens when Joshua dies. And not only Joshua, even after Joshua dies, the Bible says that even after Joshua goes off the scene, the elders are there and they live good lives. They live righteous lives under the elders of the message. But now when that generation starts to die off, notice what happens here in this pattern of Judges. The Bible says they bury him, verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord. What a sad verse. Nor yet the works which he had done for Israel, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. Lowercase gods. Not God, but gods. You say, Brother Matt, what happens when a person leaves the truth? They don't always get sinful. They sometimes get more spiritual. Or let me rephrase that. They get more religious. But they're not serving capital G-O-D. They're serving lowercase g-o-d. They're serving the gods of the people, idolatry. They're serving the gods of the people that were supposed to be driven out. But now God says, because you didn't drive them out, now they're going to be there for your children to see. 
and for your children to worship. And the Bible says that exactly what God says, they become thorns in their eyes and pricks in their sides. Because why? Because they had to watch as the children who they raised in the message and taught them the ways and the words of the prophet, the people who sat in church and went to church their entire life, they watched an entire generation of message young people completely leave the Lord. And it was a prick in their eye. I can imagine it would be. And the Bible says that they, that notice this, they forsook, verse 12, the Lord God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of their spoils that spoiled them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wheresoever, whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, notice this, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. Yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers. In following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them, they ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Now what you'll notice is there's a pattern, as we said, we don't have time to cover this entire book of Judges nor the book of Ruth, but we want just to bring out something to you today and you'll notice that there's this pattern all the way through this book of Judges. There's this cycle and God has a message through this book of Judges and through this book of Ruth. I want to read you what the prophet of God says in the Kinsman Redeemer. He says, now many people look at this book of Ruth as they say, it's a love story of the Bible. The Bible is a love story. The whole Bible. The whole Bible is a love story. Not only is it a love story, it's a prophet. Not only is the Bible a prophet. You say the Bible a prophet? It's a prophet. It prophesies. And he says it's not just a love story, it's a prophet. It's not only a prophet, it's also a history. Not only is it a love story, a history, and a prophet, it's God Himself. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is God on print. That ought to settle it, brother. God on print. Jehovah printed on a book. Hallelujah. Oh, this quote will get me excited. He says, it's God, Jehovah, printed on a book. And there's none of it just come some kind of a fiction tale. Don't, ever, don't let anybody ever tell you this is fables and stories and tales. This is Jehovah printed on a book. 
Let me tell you what this is. This is the voice of God to you, my brother and my sister. It's the Word of God. Brother Branham says there's none of it just a fiction or a tale. It's absolutely the truth. Every single phase of it. Hang your soul. It's there. It's the truth. And God will back up His own Word. This story, speaking of that story of Ruth, was written. And all the old manuscripts, when they were segregating the Bible, the holy men, when they were trying to put it together, the Old Testament, this book of Ruth was one of the most outstanding. He said it was one of the outstanding books that they accepted. Why? If it's just a love story, why would the writers, ancient sages, accept this book of Ruth, is what he's speaking of. As inspired, because there's a hidden revelation in it. And in this revelation, you catch the real meaning. It'll bring you real close to God. He says, in this book of Ruth, there's a real hidden revelation. And it's more than just a love story. It's a prophet. It's more than just a prophet. This book is more than just a prophet. It's a history book. Oh, that's what I love so much about when you study the Word of God. Uh, This Bible is more than just prophecies and more than just divine sayings. But it's actually unique in that it's mostly history and prophetic future. You ever study the Koran or you study any of the other books or look at some of their sayings? The Koran is just filled with spiritual sayings and spiritual things. It doesn't tell much history because it doesn't have a place in history. It doesn't have a place in the mind of God. But the Bible doesn't just record prophecy, but it also records history. But it records a very special type of history. It records history when there was no historian to write it down on a piece of paper. Do you realize the Bible tells us the history of the beginning of the earth and how the earth was formed? Yet there was no writer or historian to take a pen and write it down. Yet the Bible gives us the history of the beginning of the earth. You go read the book of Revelation, it'll give you the history of the end of the earth. Yet there's no historian to tell you or to write it or to watch it all happen. Why is it? Because it's a book of prophecy. It's a love story. And there's a revelation inside of it. And I say, God, give me that revelation that will bring me real close to God. Give me that revelation, Lord. More than just the letter, give me the word today. Brother Branham says it's more than just a history. It's more than just a love story. Hang your soul. And I'm going to say today, Lord, I'm hanging my soul on this book. And I want you to notice what this history of Judges records. Uh, The history of Judges records this cycle of Judges. Notice what we just read here in Judges chapter 2. It says, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. This is what happens as you see this constant refrain all the way through this book of Judges. You're going to hear this message, there's no king. And you're going to notice that there's this pattern through the entire book of Judges. You're going to notice that there's this cycle, this roundabout in the book of Judges. And it just keeps repeating itself. You have oppressor and then you have deliverer. 
Then you have oppressor, then you have deliverer. I want you to notice, brothers, if you can pull that PowerPoint uh, up on the screen. I need you to this to be quick today. But it, it, I, I, I even uh, titled this part of this section of Judges and Ruth, The Circle and the Line. The Circle and the Line. I want you to notice this circle, uh, this pattern that we see here. You notice this list of oppressors. I, go to the next slide, brother. You would have the king of Jericho that would raise up and would oppress the Israelites. And so God raises up Othiel, this great judge. And we don't have time to get into their life today. But we just want to highlight just some of a few of them here today as you study this book of Judges. He would raise up a king of Jericho and there would be a judge named Othiel. And then he would raise up the king of Moab. And then God would raise up Ehud, another judge. And these judges would begin to deliver Israel from the oppressor. Then the Ammonites would come in and they would oppress Israel. So God would raise up a Shamgar. And we know the story of Shamgar, a man who was sick and tired of being ran over his entire life. So he picked up a little oxco, just a little bit of faith and said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm so disgusted of my, of my own condition and my own life. I'm going to choose to do something about it. And I'm going to put faith in God. And the Bible says that Shamgar had a great victory in his own life and for his own family. But what were these men? They were judges. The Amalekites would come in. And then God would raise up Deborah. And then he would raise up through Deborah Barak. And you know the story of Deborah and Barak and how they went in jointly and together to battle. What were these men? The Bible calls them judges. But I, I don't want you to think of judges like a, a, a court judge. But actually, more properly, that word could be Savior. Now, not the Savior. There's only one Savior. Just like there's no healer amongst us, there's only one healer. But God, Brother Branham says, uses the agency of man and through faith in that gift or that vessel, God can heal you through the preaching of the Word, God can heal you. You notice how important it is to believe the vessel whom God hath sent. That's why the angel of the Lord tells Brother Branham, if you can get the people to believe you, nothing will stand in your way, not even cancer. What was it? It wasn't that Brother Branham was God. It wasn't that Brother Branham was a healer. It wasn't that Brother Branham was an absolute. But he was a representative of the mercy and the grace of God through divine healing. And if you could believe on the vessel whom God had sent. Oh, this is for free here today. If you could believe on the man God sent to your life, you can receive deliverance. That's why it's so important for you to have confidence in your pastor that he's more than just a man getting behind a desk and revealing thoughts and ideas and concepts to you. But it's God using the agency of a man to deliver you out of your situation, to deliver you out of your oppressors. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Notice, these Philistines would come. He'd raise up a savior. He'd raise up a judge. He'd raise up, they were saviors of the situation. He'd raise up a Philistines. 
And we all know the story of Gideon and how Gideon has an army. And we, we, we know the, the, the entire story. And even afterwards, they try, to, they try to raise up Gideon. Even after all the victory that Gideon has, the people look to Gideon and say, oh, we'll, we'll crown you king and then your son will reign in your stead. And Gideon says, hold up a minute. You already have a king. His name is Jehovah. You just got to obey your king. You see, that judge was sent to turn their hearts back to God. King of Hazor, we find that judges would raise up. And there was a mighty story of Tola. Midianites would come in and you had the, the judge or the savior, Jer. Then you had the Amalekites and God would raise up Jephthah. And then the Philistines would come again. And, and through this entire history of 52 years, there was going to be oppressors and oppressors. And then God would raise up a judge and he'd begin to deliver those people. Then the Ibzan came and the Ammonites came. And then God rose up Elon. And the Ammonites come again later and God raises up another judge named Abdon. Then we find the story of the Philistines and God raises up Samson. Samson was not about a strong man. It was actually about a very weak man. Samson was not a great big muscle-bound man with, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Mr. Atlas or some kind of great bodybuilder. That's Brother Adam said, he, that wasn't Samson. If, if Samson was some big, you know, muscle-bound guy, why would Delilah look at him and say, wherein does your great strength lie? Because within him, he looked like nothing. But it was the anointing of God on his life. You see, Samson was not the story of how strong a human is. It was how weak a human is. Apart from the anointing of God in his life. God would raise up this pattern of judges. He would raise up oppressors. But notice what judges... I, don't want, you, I want you to leave that there, brother. If you have a Bible, use it today. Judges chapter 2, notice, the Lord raised up judges, verse 16 of Judges 2, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Yet they would not hearken under their judges, but went whoring after other gods, bowed themselves to them. Notice what Brother Branham says here, just hold your place there in verse 17. Brother Branham says in the Ephesian church age, the next slide, now history keeps repeating itself. This is the pattern or the cycle that you find in Judges. It's a constant repetitive circle. History keeps repeating itself. In the generation of Israel, we see revival in one generation, only to see the fires fading in the next. In the third generation, embers may be glowing slightly, but in the fourth, there may be no vestige whatsoever of that original flame. Then, God lights the fire again. And the same process is repeated. Notice these words. History keeps repeating. The same process is repeated. The fervent desire to please God, the passion to know His Word, the cry for reaching out in the Spirit, all begins to fade. And instead of that church being on fire with the fire of God, it's cooled off and became a bit formal. That's what was happening back there to the Ephesians. That second generation... Coming on was just like Israel. Now he goes and points back at this pattern again. This great cycle, this process. This is what you find when you read the story of Judges. You find a deliverer, an oppressor. God delivers. Then they sin. Then they repent. 
Then God delivers. Then they sin. Then they repent. Then God sends a deliverer. And you find this constant cycle repeating over and over and over. Listen to what Brother Random says about the cycle. He says, when they, the second generation was just like Israel, they demanded a king to be like other nations. When they did that, they rejected God. But they did it anyway. That is the history of the church. It isn't long until you see them stop doing things they used to do and start doing things they wouldn't do initially. They change their manner of dress, their attitudes, and their behavior. They get lax. That's what Ephesus means, relaxed and drifting. And then he says, that cycle of revival and death has never failed. Because this is a pattern of judges. The pattern of the judges in your own life and people's lives are so much like judges. To where we go in cycles and in patterns and revivals. And we go from one revival to the next revival. Brother Branham said history just continues to repeat itself. In the generation of Israel, we see fire in one generation. Then the second, the fire fades. Then the third, it goes down. Then the fourth, there's no vestige of that original flame. Then that revival dies. Then God lights the fire again. And that cycle just keeps repeating. That cycle just keeps repeating. Judges is about cycles. It's about a circle. But I'm going to tell you about another book named the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth doesn't have any cycles. It doesn't have a circle. It's actually a line. A straight linear path. And God says, I want you to come out of judges. Get off of the pattern of revival and then death. Get get off of the cycle of up and down and step into a little land named Bethlehem where there's a girl named Ruth and God says there's going to be a difference between Judges and Ruth. Judges is going to be a circle, but Ruth is going to be a royal line. And Brother Branham says this is that cycle, that circle. And, and, And what you find is, is that people's lives are so much the same. You notice what happens to Israel. They begin to get revival fires burning only to see the generation fade in the next. And he says, and that cycle just repeats itself. They get away from God. They go on that roundabout of life, that circle of life. You know what that roundabout is? It's that, that roundabout circle. That circle of judges where, you know, you, you, get, you go into life and you step on the roundabout in life. And then you grow up and you get a job and you get a good career. You marry a girl or you marry a boy uh, if you're a girl. And and, and you, you, you have a family and you have a home and then you get a job. And you get in that rut, that circle. You go to church on Sunday, you go to work on Monday. And then you just go after work, you come home and you veg on entertainment. You go to bed, you wake up the next day and you go back to your same job. You go back to church on Sunday, back to the career on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And you're going in that circle you go home you say hello to the family you you watch entertainment you feed yourself from all the things in life you deal with all the problems you wake up you do it all over again the next day then on Wednesday you go to church then you go on Thursday back to work and you're on that cycle over and over again and you work a job and you work a career and then after 40 years or so you retire and then you step off the roundabout 
about the spot where you stepped on. And you go through that circle over and over. And so many people are on this pattern of a circle with no purpose in their life. No purpose, never identify the plan of God for their life. They just live in a life. They go to church, they go to work. They go to church, they go to work. They raise kids, and they go through that entire roundabout. You know, the point, have you ever been in the traffic circle, a roundabout? You know what those are here in Tennessee? We got a lot of them back home. You know, the purpose of that roundabout is not to stay on the roundabout. And if you do, you get the horn honked at you, and people wonder if you're from there. The purpose of the roundabout is to get off of the roundabout and get back on the line that God has for your life. I've got a very simple message for you this morning. Get off the roundabout of Judges and come into the book of Ruth where there's a purpose and a pattern for your life. Get off of the circle of life, of just going through life and going through the motions and say, God, I don't want to go in a rut and in a pattern. Oh, is there somebody here today that can say, God, take me off of the roundabout of life. Let me step out of judges and let me step into Ruth. Let me step into the pattern and the life that God has for me. Hallelujah. Come out of Judges and come into Ruth. You see, Ruth was the answer to Judges. Ruth was the answer to this cycle of revival and death. As you study this pattern over and over and over again, you'll find that every time the people got close to God, God sent a deliverer. Notice what happens here as we go through this. God would send deliverers. But God gives them this, this law of blessing and cursing. And he says, and it shall come to pass, this is Deuteronomy chapter 28. It shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on, a high, above, uh, set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Verse 15, but it shall come to pass if thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. You see, living for God is very simple. You're either living under blessing or you're living under curse. This is the pattern you see in Israel. As long as they were close to God, blessings came. But the minute they got away from God, and got away from His prophet, and got away from His teaching, and away from His commandments, as soon as obedience leaves your life, cursings follow. Say, so is it that simple, Brother Matt? It is that simple. You either live under blessing or you live under curse. And when you disobey the Lord, when you're disobedient in your life, cursings come in so much that the Bible says they overtake you. And sorrow comes upon sorrow and pain comes upon pain. And hurt comes upon hurt and damage comes and leads to more damage. 
This is what we see in Israel. You see, the problem with this cycle, this circle, this roundabout, is you're not just going on a circle linearly like this, but it's a spiraling circle where you go lower and 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 you go lower. It's a cycle that leads you down further and further and further and further. You even watch Jonah in his life when he rebelled against God. The Bible says he went down to Nineveh. He went down to the boat. He went down into the bottom of the boat. Then he went down into the belly of the well. He went lower and lower and lower and lower. And this is the cycle of God in your life. Or the cycle of death, the, recycle, the cycle of a circle, or a line in your life. That roundabout will take you lower and lower and lower. That cycle will go lower and lower and lower. Where you have no purpose. You're just aimless. You're wondering. Something very dangerous and wondering in life. Brother Branham says, what happens after a while? A spiritual amnesia sets in. You go around and around and around and around and around. You know what happens after a while when you go around and around and around? Do it sometime. You get dizzy. You lose your way. Spiritually. You lose your way. You lose your direction. You don't know left. You don't know right. You don't know forwards. You don't know backwards. And you're trying to raise kids. And your kids need the Holy Ghost. And you're fighting devils. And your marriage is in trouble. And you're going round and around and around and around and around. And everyone in your life needs direction. But you're spinning in a circle. And you go around and around and around. But when you're on the line, God has a purpose in your life. Your life has a purpose. Your job has a purpose. Your career has a purpose. Your church has a purpose. You have a purpose in life. Everything just clicks and makes sense. You're living for a purpose. You're serving God for a purpose. You're raising a family for a purpose. For a line, for a plan. But just as in the book of Judges, the people gets away from the law of Moses, away from the Levitical order, and now their life goes from a line to a circle. And any time you get away from God, your life turns into a circle. It's a circle or a line. Never would have thought we would have been back to elementary school, would we? Back to shapes. <laughs> but this is how true this pattern, this principle is in your life. You study Judges. It was a constant circle. Over and over and over again. It's a circle. The people get away from the law. And then their life becomes a cycle. I want you to look at this next slide, brother. If you can just go uh, uh, to, to a few slides down. In fact, go all the way down to the very last one. Notice this pattern that you see in Judges. And here's this constant refrain. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. When you walk by your own eyes, this is how you walk. You may think you have direction. You may think you're planning your life. You may think everything's working. You got a plan. You got a career. Raising kids. Getting more money. Bigger job. Bigger bank account. Bigger house. But if you ever pull back and you look from the sky view, your life is just a big circle. 
And then they allow compromise. You notice this pattern of sin. Notice that circle I have there. This was the cycle. This cycle in the book of Judges repeats seven times. God's number of completion. God's number of perfection. Both for evil and for good. Seven times the cycle repeats. The people would sin. They would go into slavery to that sin. Because that's what sin brings. It brings bondage. And it makes you a slave. It doesn't, as we preached last night, it doesn't give anything back. It just takes away. And this cycle in Judges is they would sin. There would be sedition. There would be, uh, there would be uh, just a, t- a total backsliding and turning away from God. And then that cycle would lead them from sin. It would lead them to slavery. And then from slavery, they would lead to repentance. And they would begin to cry out and call out to God. Say, God, deliver me. God, heal me. God, save me. Deliver me from this problem. Deliver me from these chains again. Then God would send a judge. He'd send a deliverer. He'd send a savior. And God would set them free. And then they'd go right back. Notice what the Bible says here. It says it came to pass in verse 19. When the judge was dead. That they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers. So how long would they stay in that revival as long as the judge lived? But as soon as the judge died, they'd go right back to sin. The only problem is this time it was worse. And if you're not careful when you live in the pattern of judges, you'll get freed from addictions and freed from problems and freed from issues. You'll come to this altar. You'll get excited in a meeting. God will come down and deliver you. And if you're not careful, you'll go right back to that sin. And Jesus says when an unclean spirit is going out of a man, he leaves and he finds the house. Notice the house is clean and swept. It says when the unclean spirit is going out of a man, He says, it goeth to dry places, seeking rest. Because that spirit's got to have a house to live in. And he says, but when it findeth none, it cometh back to the house that he was delivered from. And Jesus says, and he finds it swept and garnished and clean. You know, one of the most dangerous spots you can be in as a Christian, it's clean, but not filled. One of the most deadly spots we see it in people's lives so many times. Brother Branham said they live in varying degrees of sanctification. They live in this pattern of judges where they're clean, but then they go right back. And Brother Jesus says when he comes, he finds the house swept, clean, and garnished, but it's empty. And he says, and it goes and gets seven more spirits worse than the first. And Jesus says the condition of that man is worse than before the Spirit had left him. You would be better dirty than clean but empty. So that's a bold statement. Well, I got the words of Jesus to back it up. He says the condition of that man is worse than when he first started. And we get to a place, if we're not careful, we live under such the pattern of judges that God cleans us. God saves us, but we go right back to the sin. And you watch a person's life, if they go back after sin, after revival, after a deliverance, after a move of God, that next sin is always worse than the first. And that bondage gets greater, and it gets greater, and it gets stronger, and it gets stronger, and it gets stronger. And then it leads them to slavery. 
And then you find them as they come back and they begin to weep and they come back to repentance. But if you're not careful, if you stay in the pattern of Judges and you never make it out of Judges into Ruth, you go through that cycle for year after year after year after year. Compromise. They allowed men to stay in the valley. They got victory on the mountain, but they never got victory in the valley. That's what Judges 2 records. Judges 1, it says that they got victory uh, over all of the, over the Canaanites in the mountains, but they could never get victory in the valley. And what was it? It was compromise on the Word of God. God said, drive them all out, all of them out of your life. And those allowances led to alliances. Because they never drove out all the enemies, they said, hey, since you're going to live here anyways, let's just be allies. You know, the problem with that, it was okay for the parents, but guess whose eyes those young men started seeing? Started seeing non-Israelite girls. And the Bible says they allowed mixed marriages. And God was so clear. Are you with me here today? I don't want to go here by myself. I want you to come with me. God was so clear on mixed marriages. He was so clear you're to marry a Jew is to marry a Jew. An Israelite marries an Israelite. Because what happens when an Israelite marries a Canaanite? Tell you what happens. It never works. Never works. Let me tell you something, young people, I ought to stop here just for a moment. Be careful who you give your heart to. Be careful who you give your emotions to. And you say, God's leading me to date that girl from school. Does she go to church? No. Does she believe the message? No. She's a good Baptist girl. She loves the Lord. She's got a real heart for God. Be careful. We've gotten to such a place in our own ranks and the message to where we we're sort of compromising to what we used to preach and what we used to believe. He said, but the man, are they good people? I'm sure they're good people. Uh, in very rare cases, I've seen, it, seen God do something, a miracle, very special, and God brought that person to the truth. But very rarely. You say, Brother Matt, does that mean that we just, you know, everybody's... Let me tell you something, young people. Some of the worst girls and some of the worst boys' girls are sitting right in your church. Don't think just because they go to this church or they claim the message or believe the prophet. You better be led of the Spirit of God. You better say, do they have the same passion and zeal that I have for the Lord and the truth and His Word? Does my heart match their heart? They'll lead you astray. Hallelujah. They compromise, and when compromise comes, conduct changes. And the conduct leads to sin, slavery, then repentance, then salvation, then back to sin, then back to repentance, then back, back to slavery, back to repentance, back to salvation, and it brings corruption to the children of Israel. It leads them and binds them in idolatry and immorality. And we notice this pattern just repeats over and over and over. Seven times in Judges we see this pattern repeat. The cycle of revival and death. 
This getting away from God and living under the cursing of God. But do you not want to know how to live under the blessing? You see, cursing or blessing is not a choice. It's not, you know, like in school, you have your, you have your, your required assignments, then you have your extracurricular stuff. You can just choose sort of an option if you want to do it or not. Well, blessing or cursing don't work that way. It's a required assignment. You're either going to live under the blessing of God or you're going to live under the curse of God. You say, what would determine it? Your obedience to God or your disobedience to God? As long as they live disobedient, cursings followed their life. But let me tell you something, brother. If they lived obedient, blessings was automatic. Blessings came automatically from God. In fact, the blessings were so great, God said, if you'll live close to my word and be obedient, I'm not just going to pour out blessings, but those blessings are going to become so strong in your life, they overtake you. You say, what do they overtake? They overtake your issues. They overtake your problems. They overtake your burdens. They overtake your family. They overtake your children. Oh, they overtake your church. And God says, I'll bless you abundantly. I'll pour out a blessing. It'll be so big you can't even contain it. I want that kind of a blessing here today. I say, God, let my life live so close to you that I live under the blessing of God. It's going to be a circle or a line. It depends on if your life is in touch with the Lord. In Israel's life, their pattern, unfortunately, so sadly, as you follow this book and you go all the way through the history of this book, you'll find this pattern. We come to the very end of Judges, the very last part of Judges. And it's a very sad story, in fact... I can't even repeat some of the stories here in Judges if you've ever studied them and studied the entire book in a mixed audience. Some of the things you read about are so bad and they're so vile and so filthy. You almost can't even believe it's in the Bible. You can't believe these are stories that you read out of them. I'll tell you what, you open your Bible sometime, read something you've never read before. You go look at the last parts of Judges, this book. The Bible tells us of this historical time where you have both the northern tribe and the southern tribe. You have Dan in the north and you have Benjamin in the south. And what you find at the very last story of Judges after this pattern of Savior, Deliverer, then back to sin, then to slavery, then to repentance, then Savior, then back to sin, then back to slavery, then back to repentance, then Savior. And God leads them through this pattern over and over. History keeps repeating itself. But we come to the very end of this book. And the Bible tells a story of both the northern tribe of Dan and the Benjamin tribe of the south. And the Bible says what you have is two Levites, both one in the north and one in the south. And it's actually a Levite that leads both of them into calamity. Preachers are sometimes God's biggest trouble. (laughs) A man where he gets off on the will of God or the anointing of God for his life. A leader can lead, can do more damage... A leader can do more damage, and and I'm not just talking about a leader as a pastor, because pastors are leaders, preachers are leaders, but let me tell you something, fathers, you're leaders too. 
And a man doing what's right in his own eyes and he's led astray can do more damage and it can wreck that family and that wife and those children worse than the devil ever could. And we find even in the north there's a man named Micah. I'll just tell you these stories and maybe you've never heard them before. But you find in the story, the story of this man named Micah. And the Bible says that Micah steals 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. This is the la- one of the last stories in this northern tribe. And the Bible says that this man Micah takes these 1,100 pieces of silver. He takes them for himself. And now his mother, he starts to get very fearful. Because now his mother begins to say, Cursed is the man who stole. And she starts to pray cursings upon his life. And the scripture records that this man gets so fearful. Micah comes back and says, Here. And he gives the silver back to his mother. And his mother looks at him and says, you've done a good job, son. I'm glad that you brought him back. You've been a good boy. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that silver and I'm going to make you a little silver god. And I'm going to give him to you. And I'm going to give you. And the mother actually creates and she begins to take the silver and melt it. And she creates an idol for her son. Sometimes it's parents who shove idols down the faces of their kids. Sometimes mothers and fathers are trying to live out the dream or childhood they never had in their life through their children's life. They shove them into sports when they don't want to play sports. They shove them into school when they want to stay homeschooled. They shove them into career when they just wanted to be a a carpenter or a framer or a plumber. (laughs) Thank God for plumbers. And they can live their life or their childhood. They give their children a silver God. And this mother gives Micah this God. And now you notice what mother says. I'll give you this silver God. And I'm going to give it to you. And you can put in your collection of gods. Because her son was already collecting little idols. Micah already had a chest full, a trunk full, a closet full of idols. Idolatry leads to more idolatry. And she says, I'm going to give you it and you can add it to your little collection of idols. What a mom. And Micah now grows up. And Micah has a son. And Micah makes his son a priest. And Micah looks at his son. Now his priest was, his son was not a Levite. But this is how backslidden Israel is at this point. Makes him a preacher when he's not called to be a preacher. Makes him a a leader when he's not called to be a leader. Some men are called to lead. Others are called to follow. God has called both. And one's not greater than the other. But you better find your position. And if you're a leader, you better be a leader and not a follower. And if you're a follower, you better be a follower and don't try to be a leader. Find your position on how God has made you, where God has called you. Get off of the circle. Get on the line. Because God has a plan for every single individual's life. God has a purpose and a calling. That's why the Bible says make your calling and your election sure. And she, he says, I'm going to make you a priest. And she, he take, Micah takes his son and makes him a priest even though the little boy wasn't a Levite. But now here what you have in Micah's house is now there's a real Levite running, retreating 
from the southern tribes. He's, he had a scandal, a, a great bad situation in Bethlehem, Judea of all places. And this southern Levite, this priest, is running for his life. And he runs into Micah's, he runs to the northern tribes. And he goes into Micah's house. And now this priest, this Levite, running to the north, lodges in the house of Micah, where his son is a false priest. And now this Levite starts to see the silver gods and the idols and the, and the, and the, and, and Micah's house. And he sees this priest over him. And now Micah offers him a position. Now he's a real Levite. He's really called of God. And Micah says, I'm going to offer you something. If you'll stay here in my house and be my private preacher, my private priest, my private pastor, I'll pay you a salary and you can be the priest over all these idols. And do you want to know what a backslidden heart of a leader does? It becomes a hireling for money. And he takes a gift that God really put in his life and he succumbs to the pressure. And the Bible says that this real Levite priest, this is the end of Judges, this real Levite priest becomes a priest over the house of these idols and these gods. He takes the salary and becomes a private priest for this one single family. And now what's going to happen through this is Micah says, my son wasn't a priest, but now I've got a real priest. I've got a real Levite. I've got a real man of God. But he didn't have a real man of God. He had a backslidden heart, a lukewarm heart of a leader who used his gift, a real gift that God placed in his life for the wrong purpose. But now here comes a little bit of time later. Take that story, and time goes on a little bit later in the tribes of Dan. Dan, who failed to take the land and judges that God had given him in the south. Now Dan migrates north, and now Dan lodges in the same house where you had a preacher who wasn't called, and now you have a preacher, a priest, who's serving as a private priest. And now Dan comes into this house and he sees all the gods and he sees the private priest and Dan says, I've got an idea. Hey man, you're a real Levite. Why are you making just a little bit of money? We'll pay you even more money than what they're paying you. And you could be the priest over an entire tribe, not just a single family. And guess what that backslidden priest did? He said, sign me up. The Levite accepts it, takes the job. This Levite, who is so backslidden in his heart to where he's preaching over idols, known idols, known idolatry in this single house, but he never says a word against it. And now Dan hires him as his Levite. And that's why Dan is recorded as one of the most idolatrous tribes in all of Israel. Because a leader brought in idolatry and it corrupted the entire church with idolatry. And just as Judas Iscariot goes missing from the 12 apostles, Dan goes missing in the book of Revelations. You say, Brother Matt, how? Because one man 
one bad mom, one evil son, one evil priest. That cycle led worse and worse and worse and worse and down they go and down they go and down they go. I'm just on a cycle in a circle. You're going further and lower and lower and lower. And Dan is wiped off. Dan is, is taken off. He's, he goes missing. The Bible doesn't even record him in Revelations. And notice what happens. Because a priest, because a Levite. It's a very sad story. And now the other one is even worse. That's the north. Now let's hear about the south. Now the southern tribe of Judah. Benjamin. It's another Levite. A man from Ephraim. A Levite from the tribe of Ephraim, takes a concubine from, guess where? Bethlehem of Judea. He takes a concubine, and the Bible says through the story of their life that, that she eventually gets fed up with this man, and she leaves him and runs back to her daddy. And now the story goes where this Levite from the southern tribe of Benjamin is running to the house of this girl, her father, and the Bible says that they argue and he's trying to get her back and he argues with the dad and they argue all afternoon and all morning and finally, finally he gives in and gives his daughter back to this man. But now it's very late in the day and they try to travel out of Bethlehem, Judea. And the Bible says that they travel through the night but it gets dark and they make it to the town of Jerusalem which at that time was still a pagan city. And that Levite says, there's no way we can settle down here for the night. We've got to go on a little bit further. So they move on into the tribe of Benjamin. And the Bible says that they make it to Gibeah, where the Benjamites are settled. And when they get there, they start to set up a tent, this man and his concubine. And the Bible says that a man of Gibeah walks out and says, hey, you're never going to make it out here in that tent. You need to come inside. And he invites this man, this Levite priest from the southern tribe into his home. And the story goes that he stays in this home. He goes in, there, in the house and before he can get settled in that home, there comes banging at the door. And it's a group of homosexuals. Now, I told you, you go read this story of Judges, guarantee you never read some of this. Almost exactly like what happens in Lot in Sodom. And these men are banging on the door saying, send out the man who came to camp. Send out that Levite out here. And that man of Gibeah gets so scared that the Bible records that he takes that, he takes that, uh, that the, his daughter, the concubine of this man, and says, I'm not going to send you this Levite, but you can have his concubine. And he sends out that concubine, and the Bible records that they so brutally defile her that she dies. And in the morning, when the dawn comes and the daylight breaks, there's this concubine laying dead on the ground. Imagine the failure of one man. What the consequences and the collateral damage when you get away from God and you're living on that cycle. You say, Brother Matt, that's a horrible story. It gets worse. Judges is going to keep going down further and further. And those men take the body of that concubine and they cut her up into 12 pieces. Go read your Bible. And they send a piece to each of the tribes of Israel. 
Say, how can that be? Judges, a pattern, a circle, a roundabout, going down and down and further and further and further. You see, when you get away from God, there's nothing impossible for you to do. You go further in things you would have never thought you could ever partake of. Places you would go so low you could never imagine you could stoop that low. And now that this happens, all of Israel unites together and says, how could such a horrible thing happen? They unite together and the Bible records that they band up and say, we're going to make Benjamin. How could Benjamin allow such a thing to happen? How could they allow such an atrocity under their watch? And all of Israel comes together against Benjamin. And for the first time and only time in their history, Israel has civil war. You know what happened with this civil war that we had in American history? And lives and men died arguing and fighting, uh, arguing and fussing and fighting, and they get so much away from God, so much away from the plan of God, so much of the Word of God that civil war breaks out in Israel. And they begin to fight one with another. And it gets so bad that the Scripture records Benjamin is so defeated and so destroyed and there's so much bloodshed and slaughter. The result was the tribe of Benjamin, almost like Dan, gets wiped off. Almost completely annihilated. You say, Israel? This was Israel. This is the story of the judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And Benjamin's almost completely wiped off. There's only 600 men, a tribe that had thousands. When the war's over, there's 600 men, no women, no children. Go read your Bible. They never realized what would happen, but Benjamin's almost completely wiped out. And then they realize what's happened to us. We were 12 tribes, now we're 11. And now Benjamin almost gets wiped off. You say, what happened, Brother Matt? The judges' cycle happened. And they went further and further and further. You say, that's a horrible story, Brother Matt. That's how judges ends. That's what, how your life ends when you get on that circle of judges. That's how your life ends up when you get in a circle and you go around and around. You say, how much longer can a person go from one revival to the next deliverance, back to sin, back to revival, back to deliverance? Brother, you won't stay on that cycle. You'll keep going down further and further and further and further and further. Let me give you the message of God today. Get off of that circle. Get off of that circle. You say, Brother Matt, that's a horrible story. But I'm not just preaching about judges. I'm preaching on getting called out of judges and into another book named Ruth. You see, the most special part about this story of judges and Ruth is that your English Bible separates the two books. And in your English Bible, it ends with Dan wiped out and Benjamin almost annihilated. But go pick up a Hebrew Bible. You see, in the Hebrew Bible, they weren't two books. They were all the same book. 
It was the same story. What was God saying? Judges, it's not, it's not going to end with judges. Your life is not going to end with Benjamin dying and Dan dying and getting wiped off. But I've got a line that answers the circle. And Ruth is going to be a little girl who's anointed and redeemed of the Lord. It's not going to end in calamity, my brother and my sister. And let me tell the devil today, you might have brought us through a circle of cycles of revival and death. But God's got a plan before the foundation of the world. And it's not going to end in defeat. It's not going to end with people leaving church and backsliding into sin and addiction. It's going to end in a line, a line of redemption oh you ought to rejoice tonight today and say God take me off the circle put me on the line of redemption it's not going to end with Benjamin it's not going to end with Dan dying the story is the same it's one book Judges and Ruth and you say what was different about Ruth brother Matt What was so different? You see, Ruth had a purpose. Past, present, future. It wasn't just going to be a circle of repeating. It was going to be a past of who she was, a present of who God made her, and a future of who she was going to be. And if you're an elected member of the family of God, my life isn't a circle, a pattern of history. But my life is who I used to be, and now who God has made me. But it goes further than that. Who I'm going to be. I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to be redeemed of the Lord. Oh, can you say amen this morning? My life isn't going to end in a circle. It's going to end in a pattern. A line. A linear, linear line. Oh, give the Lord praise this morning. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. Musicians, if you would come, we're out of time. It's not going to end in a circle. It's going to end in a straight path. Bow your heads with me if you could, brothers. If you could just play something here this morning, whatever the Lord put upon your heart, Brother Harry. It's not going to end in Judges. You see, Judges was a land where everyone did that which was right in his own eyes tells that sad story of human history. Even today, people live with that philosophy. If it feels right, if it seems right, do it. It must be right. You see, they had no king in those days. And sin leads to slavery, and slavery leads to repentance, and repentance leads to deliverance. But then back to that same cycle. I wonder if every head could be bowed, every eye closed. Just go ahead and play something. This is how Judges ends. It ends with corruption. And let me give you the warning of God, my brother, my sister. If you don't get off that cycle, get off that pattern of Judges, of revival and death, revival and sin, back to sin, back to repentance, back to slavery, back to repentance, from one meeting to the next, from one service to the next. And you get in that cycle, and we're all susceptible to it as children of God, get in that cycle of life to where you just get in a rut. 
Maybe you're here today and maybe you feel even identified. Maybe you're not sinful or backslidden. But you feel like, Lord, I've sort of got into that rut of life to where I'm just going through the circles. Oh, just be honest today. Raise a hand to the Lord. Say, God, would you take me off that circle? Would you put me back on the straight path, the straight and narrow? Would you put me back on that life that has a purpose, where church has a meaning, preaching has a purpose, living for God has a purpose, my job has a purpose, raising a family has a purpose. Oh, sister, brother, you can get so depressed in that, in that state of that pattern, but God is saying, I'm calling you out of judges and I'm wanting to put you in Ruth. You know the beauty of Ruth, that land of Bethlehem? Is that from Judges to Ruth, it was only two miles away. Only two miles. Only two miles. You say, I'm in a pattern, I'm in a circle, I'm in a rut, I'm in that cycle. But that line of Ruth is only two miles away, my brother. That land of Bethlehem was just two miles away. That's how close you are to the fire and the revival of God. That's how close you are. You say, I feel like I've fallen so far. I'm so far away, Brother Matt. You don't know my condition today. You're only two miles away, my brother. And let me tell you something about that land of Bethlehem. There's a different atmosphere in that land. There's a different anointing in that land. The atmosphere feels different. The atmosphere, the feeling in Bethlehem is not a feeling of cycles and torment and struggle and war and, and, and death and, and murder and, and all of this terror that you read in Judges. In Judah, in Bethlehem, there's none of that. There's a little girl who's being called to the throne. There's a redeemed lady. There's a redeemed woman. There's a plan of redemption. Just outside of that circle of Judges, my brother, and my sister is a line of Ruth. And I wonder if you'd raise your hand today with every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder if fathers and mothers and children and teenagers could say to the Lord, Lord, take me out of that atmosphere of judges and plant me in that atmosphere of Bethlehem. Plant me, Lord, in that atmosphere where there's no fear, there's joy, where there's no hate, there's love, where there's no stress, there's peace. Oh God, it's only just a mile away. All we got to do is walk to that land. We don't have to stay off that, in that cycle. We don't have to stay in that roundabout. We can today, Lord, step off of that roundabout. You're calling us to, Lord. We preached last night, Lord, on the bondage, the captive daughter of Zion. Lord, you're not wanting us to go into captivity again and then back to freedom, then back to captivity, then back to freedom. But you're calling somebody today, child, step out of that circle. Step out of that cycle of death. It's a winding, ever winding road that leads further and further and further and further. But today, can you hear the voice of the Lord saying, come out of Judges. Let me bring your home into a different atmosphere. Let me bring your home into a different feeling. Oh, Lord, yes. Oh, yes, Lord. I raise my hands here today, Lord, with every believer here in this building. I say, yes, Lord. Call my life out of that cycle. Call me out of that random wondering. Call me out of that, Lord, that wondering, that circle just to go around and that dizziness of life. Call me into, into Ruth, Lord. Call me into a different atmosphere.
Call me into a plan, a purpose, a life where life has a meaning, where my life has a, has a past, it has a present, and it has a future, and it has a purpose, and it has a design, and trials have a design, and tests have a purpose, and heartaches and sorrow has a purpose, it has a will, it has a plan, it's going to accomplish something. That trial and that test and that heartache and that sorrow, when you're in Judges, it means nothing, but when you're in Ruth, it has a point again, it has a purpose again, it has a meaning again, and I can understand my life, I can understand what I go through, because I'm in Ruth. I'm not in judges and God is calling me he's calling my children he's calling my home he's calling my family he's calling my church out of judges and into Ruth grant it Lord grant it for every life grant it for every home grant it for every mother grant it for every father grant it for that individual Lord who's praying here today with fervency that heart that's bleeding and crying, take me out of judges, Lord. Put me into Ruth. Take me off the circle. Put me on the line. Take my family off of that rut. Oh, I wonder if you're praying that here today. You may be one, maybe two. God, hear the cries of your children here, Lord. Take me out of that rut, Lord. Take my teenager out of that rut. Take my wife, take my husband, take my brother, take my sister, take my uncle, take my aunt, take my church. Take us out of that rut, Lord. That meaningless portion of life, that dullness, that dryness, that lukewarmness. Let us walk two miles away into a little town called Bethlehem. Let us get back on the plan and the purpose. And Lord, if trials have derailed us, call us back today, O oh God. Lord, if storms have derailed us and fogged our eyes over, Lord, and we became, our vision has became blurred with the troubles and the trials of life. Lord, call us out of that. Call us into Ruth today. Grant it, Lord Jesus. Grant it, Lord, I pray. I'm asking, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. What are you playing, Brother Harry? You could just sing. You could sing that. There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree, yes. and it whispers, draw closer to me. Oh, let it be, Lord, let it be, Lord, Leave this world far behind. There are to climb and a new place in me you will find whatever whatever takes to draw closer to you Lord that's why that's why I'll be That's why I'll be willing.
that's what I'll be willing to do. Well, can you say that this morning?
Father, it was the prayer of Jacob as he prayed. How awesome you are in this place. Lord, but we learned last night that voice said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you wherever thou goest, Jacob. But I'm calling you back to Bethel. I'm calling you back to the place of your first love. And Lord, we've heard your voice call us back to that place. And today, Lord, we raise our hands, Father. We lift our voices today and we say, God, bring back the new again. Lord, bring it back to every life. Bring it back to every home. Bring it back to every individual, Lord Jesus, we pray. I wonder if you could put your hand over on that brother or that sister who's beside you right now. And why don't you just say a prayer for them, Lord. Father, we join our faith together in this building right now. God, we believe in faith. We ask and trust because you've proven yourself time and time and time again. Lord, that's why we ask. That's why we petition. That's why we pray, Lord. We pray for every individual, every life, oh God. I pray you'd keep us on that straight path. Don't let us be led to a circle. Keep us on that line. Keep us on the firing line. Keep us fighting the battle. Keep us zealous, Lord. Keep us passionate. Make us a church filled with the Holy Ghost. From the head to the toe, I pray, oh God. Touch every life. Lord, the ministry that affects this church. I pray, Father, you'd touch Brother Donnie. Touch the ministry here, Lord. May you give us a refreshing, Lord, of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, blessings and not cursings. May your blessings pour out upon us, Father, as we draw closer to you, Lord. Father, you said I'll pour out a blessing that even you can't contain. I'll open the windows of heaven. It'll be more than you can carry in a bucket, more than you can carry in your spirit. I'll overflow you with my joy. I'll overflow you with my love. I'll overflow you with my life. That's the promise to the believer. And we accept it today, Lord. We accept it for every home, every life, every heart, everyone, Lord, here today. We believe it, Lord. We claim it in Jesus Christ's name. Oh, hallelujah. Could you just raise your hands? Could you just thank the Lord today? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that you've changed our atmosphere from judges. Thank you that you've called us into Ruth, Lord. Lord, where Ruth ends with a royal line. It ends with the seed of David. And Lord, in this life, Father, is going to not end in a plunging circle. It's going to end with a straight line. It's going to go up and up and up. It's not going to go down and down and down for the believer. It's going to go up and up and up and up and up till we're out of here, Lord. Oh, I'm looking for that day, Jesus. I've got an expectation in my heart. And I'm saying, God, burn the midnight oil. Burn, burn, Holy Spirit. Stronger than you've ever burned before in my life, I pray, oh God. You'd burn in every single life, Lord, we ask. May you grant it to us now, Lord, as we go from this building, Lord, but not from your presence, Lord. We'll be careful to give you all the thanks, all the praise, all the honor for your name is worthy. It's worthy, Lord Jesus, of all the praise. Could you sing that song, How Great Is Our God? The Splendor of a King. The splendor of a king. Well, let's just worship him now before we leave. Clothed majesty. Let all the earth and all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light.
on land and sea he stands he has an open book in hand revealing the son of man revealing the son of man uniting time has come oh the bride and christ are one soon we're going home soon we're going home Jesus, every spirit, every addiction, every problem has to bow at the mention of that name. Oh, I say whatever your problem is, whatever your issue is, it has to bow at the name of Jesus. It has to bow at that mighty name, Jesus. I believe there's power in that name. Could you sing that, Brother Harry? There is power in the name of Jesus. Let's sing it now before we go. There is power in the name of oh, Jesus. Just worship me now. Jesus. The precious name of Jesus. 
Did you enjoy the word of the Lord this weekend? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Let's sing this as we're dismissed this morning. Amen. I trust you get off that traffic circle of life. Amen. And take the, the straight lines this morning. Amen. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Claim it this morning as we sing it as you're dismissed this morning. Oh, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine.